says tech can't be human? Passion, whether that's one of those four areas or something else. I'm a big believer, you've probably heard me say this before, that you just have to know where your superpower is or what your superpower wants to be. In other words, that thing that's passionate to you that you probably know better than 99% of the population out there. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. When it comes to IT and security, we can all agree on two things. Complexity is increasing and the manual asset inventory approach no longer cuts it. It's time to adapt. And that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius correlates asset data from existing cybersecurity and SaaS solutions to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate actions, giving you the confidence to control complexity. Sign up for a free walkthrough of the platform at exonius.com forward slash get dash a dash tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com forward slash get dash a dash tour. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. E- yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. You may have the question, like I've had the question before, where does a CISO go to find a CISO job? Well, worry no more. We've brought in a good friend of the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. We've brought in Michael Piacente. Michael is the managing partner and co-founder of Hitch Partners and someone who helps executives and organizations fill those gaps for talent like CISOs. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you, gentlemen. Great to be here. Love the show. Really enjoying it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. We've known you for years at this point, and you really have some interesting insights into the plight and the world that is being a CISO. How did you first get into that realm of finding the homes for different CISOs across the United States and even abroad? Yeah, I think some would agree with my interesting insights. <laughs> some might not. Yeah, I actually started in the practitioner world of IT. And when I moved into executive recruiting, I had really focused on CIO search and everything in the CIO's roles of deputies, one of which, of course, was this wonderful role called a CISO. We started seeing around 2008, 2009, companies contacting us looking for CIOs because they had had a situation where their engineering organization went out and maxed out their personal credit cards on this thing called AWS. And they didn't know, (laughs) (laughs) they didn't know where their source code was sitting. And so they would actually call and say, we we need to do an audit of our software (laughs) licenses. And I would say, well, audit, are you worried about security? Ah, no, you know, AWS handles all that pretty well. They've got all these amazing tools and so I'm thinking to myself, uh, so that's how this is going to be. <laughs> at that point, you already had IT security expanding and compliance expanding at a fascinating pace, governance. And that was right around the time of SOX coming about. But then you had this entire other wing of interest around application security, product level security. And no one seemed to be paying attention to it except for some high caliber engineering environments. And so that was kind of the premise of Hitch Partners is we, we wanted to be that high-consequence, data-focused, cloud-native, cloud-first security executive, which we now know as the kind of modern CISO. So that's kind of how it all started. 
I love it. I love the work that you've done. And I've met a lot of the CISOs that you've helped be retained at organizations, but also help find new organizations to join as a CISO. So big kudos to you there. I got to ask, there's a lot of definitions for a CISO. And I, I think there's no right or wrong definition, but I would love to hear from your perspective. What is a CISO in your world? In my version of it, it is the executive. That's the key term here. The individual that has been properly placed, properly sponsored, properly reporting structure within an organization that is handling all of the business information and data risk policy, execution, and operations in the company. And that doesn't end there. There is an external function. We see an enormous amount of sales and pipeline enablement and customer support enablement piece today. But in a general sense, it is that translator the ultimate identifier and really the narrator of what business risk is occurring within the organization. And typically, they have to be looking around the corner at all times versus seeing what is going on. By the time something's happened, it's already happened. And so now they have to think about the next potential attack. All during this time, the attack surface has expanded and so thus has the definition of the CISO. One of the most incredible things and probably the most important thing is the placement and making sure that they're in the right environment, because I'm sure there's a lot of startups out there. They're like, okay, we need to take security seriously. Of course we need a CISO, but that might not always be the case. What has been your perspective going through that process? We will run about 30 to 35 CISO and deputy CISO searches a year. We're actually pretty boutique in that nature. But we speak to about 150 or so on average companies a year. And there is certainly competition, but as far as competition losing to us or vice versa, it's a handful, maybe a few times a year. So that leaves a good 100 plus clients or prospects. And so you have to figure out what, what goes on there. And what we've established is about 80% of the companies that approach us actually don't need a CISO. Unfortunately, we're also the first people that are telling them that. <laughs> so, someone somewhere along the line that's out of my pay grade has told them to talk to me and I'm happy to do it. <laughs> the first 30 seconds of the discussion, we realized they don't have any C and they don't have any O and they're trying to maybe get a SOC 2 or GPR or, or something more technical in play. We have to really listen first and understand what it is they're trying to achieve. But most of the time we are recognizing that they don't either need a CISO. A big trend lately has been maybe look at who you have already hired and brought on and trained and invested. See if there's some gaps that can be overcome with some investment and some advisors. There's some nuances that can be adjusted there and see if you can just turn the individual you have today into your future CISO. There's all kinds of trends going on. Fractional and B CISO is certainly up and coming and very robust, but there's a whole state of the CISO today that we can get into as to why this is so hard and why this is such a nuanced role. Let's dive deeper into it. I've recently come across that term fractional CISO. I feel like I've been hearing it on and off for the past year or so. But what is the difference between a fractional CISO and a VCISO? Well, a VCISO and a fractional CISO are, can be used synonymously. VCISO, the V standing for virtual, can sometimes be misleading in that the individual is not actually physically there on site or they're sitting across the country somewhere. What it really means is that that's not necessarily true. They could certainly be there on site physically or just be there in person. But what it really means is that the company does not require a full-time CISO or security program at this point, but they do have some very 
difficult, complex, and time-consuming programs and projects that need to be implemented. And so bringing in your starter package to implement the baseline or foundational building blocks of what will become a security program in the form of a consultant or consulting firm is often a wiser choice than going and building a security program around a full-time role. We look at is what is the company's risk model? What are they selling? Who are they selling it to? What kind of data are they holding on to? What kind of data are they creating? So a lot of factors go into, it's not just, wow, these guys are too small. They don't need a real CISO. We don't, <laughs> we're not that trite. We mm-hmm. actually get deep into the evaluation. If we make a mistake and recommend a VCISO or fractional CISO option when really the business model is going to be supporting a very strong security program in just six months, and they just didn't recognize it, then we would be doing the client a disservice. So we do have to get a little bit deeper into, you know, what's their business all about? And that's where we focus. But in general, the VCISO and the fractional CISO are fairly synonymous terms, fractional being you don't need a full-time entity at this point or individual. And it seems to be a more logical way to go in many cases. Like I said, 80% of the time, we will try to make that introduction. One of the first conversations you and I had about, what, three and a half years ago was the different types of CISO for an organization. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. And and has that particular, because I think at the time we were talking about three different types of CISO for particular companies and whatever their use cases. Have you seen that change over the last three years? Are there more types of CISOs? Is there less types? Has it evolved any over the last few years? Yeah. And that kind of goes to sort of where the state of the CISO is today. But to answer your question briefly, I think we have another category. So add a fourth category in there, maybe even a fifth one coming, but a fourth one for sure. And that you have a uh, appliance-facing or governance-facing CISO, someone that's really focused on the business risk. They may or may not have come from a technical background, but they understand how to communicate and translate business risk. You have the highly technical CISO. You typically see them in the security engineering and AppSec or ProdSec space. They're coming from that space. You have an individual that's focused in the IT security space, also incredibly important looking at uh, insider threat and detection and response and all the security operations components that are not touching the application, not touching the product. And then you have this kind of newer model, which has a couple different subsets. Some people call it the BISO or other call it field CISO, but it's this concept. There's a lighter version of that, which is just someone that's involved in uh, an executive that's involved in these sales enablement activities. That's really driven by the fact that you now have the CISO's organization and the CISO themselves are really seen as competitive advantage enablers in the business. It's no longer this mundane, stagnant program where you call in and here's your incidents. It's it's very much a proactive moving from a cost center to a profit center type of model. And so now we have a flavor of CISO, if you would call it, that really is a sales enabler, a pipeline enabler, a business enabler, and they're speaking to their counterparts in large enterprise opportunities. And so it's amazing that all of our CISO searches contain all four of these parts. <laughs> but the fun part of that we get to figure out is what's the priority? What's the order? What does everyone in the organization think the priority should be? That's why we do this thing called interviewing the interviewers. If you ask eight executives in a company what they think their future CISO or program should look like, you're probably going to get eight different opinions. And there's mm-hmm. that's actually very healthy, but we really do need to figure that out before we start introducing the humans to the process. So. 
You said it best. There's a lot that goes into being a CISO. You mentioned the sales enablement piece. I think that is an untapped resource that organizations are starting to tap into their CISO and have them do more public facing events to showcase, hey, this is how serious we take security. I think that's a selling prop in itself. And when you look at all of that, it could be a little overwhelming for the CISO. They have to manage these risks. They have to promote awareness to their stakeholders and the team, and maybe even help other customers understand how serious their organization is taking security. To me, this is a lot of work. I can't imagine anybody can do this in 40 hours, whether they're a full-time CISO or a VCSO. So there's got to be some incentives. I'm looking at this report you created, Hitch Partners, and I see this report. It says that on average, if a CISO joins an enterprise software company that's publicly traded, they may be able to make up to $866,000. Quite a bit. I love that. And I would imagine that maybe it's not always like that. Maybe there's a low end. Can you describe what that low end is or even average? But also, what are the other non-monetary incentives that CISOs enjoy? The problem when we first started this, what we would consider a modern CISO, is there was no data. The data, as much as they tried, you had folks like Radford Studies, which in sense for a technology company, a software company or other, they were sometimes 40, 50% off the mark. Not that they were wrong, but they just didn't have the data. And so we had to figure out a way to go collect this data. And we had these relationships. And thankfully, we have the trust of the community and people started participating in that particular report had over 500 participants from the CISO space, which was pretty awesome. We're expecting an increase this year. The lower end could be as low end, and not, I say low end, but it really depends on what the company's doing. Like I said, what are they selling? What are they protecting? How do they organize? What industry are they in? We've seen CISO searches that are people making 200 to 300,000 in cash and, and then a little bit of stock, you know, as low as the sort of four or 500 range. The average that we, as you mentioned, is sort of that 860 plus. Our average searches are around 1.25 million Ooh. in total annual compensation, which is probably about 35% cash and the remainder in equity and other incentives. So it is a enormous range is kind of my point. So it's hard to actually put out a report like this because we certainly don't want to exclude anyone. We certainly don't want to think anyone's underpaid. A lot of it just has to do with the particular model that you're part of and how they value IT in some cases, how they value security in their organization. It's kind of a tough question to answer. We get that a lot, by the way. <laughs> what about the uh, non-monetary incentives? A couple of things that come to mind, they are increasingly becoming more board ready. I think a lot of that was driven, if I look at history here, this has been a really odd year of historical events. One of which was in March, the SEC announced that they proposed amendments calling for the enhancement and standardization disclosures regarding cyber risk and incident reporting and governance for public companies. And that created a massive wave of CISOs becoming more interested and more prepared to take on board level positions. And so this has become a huge incentive and a huge play for CISOs where they're going in their future direction. They can keep their day job and at the same time, be on a public board is the end game goal, even a private board. It brings them further into the executive layer stratosphere that they've all been yearning to get into, you know, a moving away from the technical know-how and more of a business executive. And so that's kind of one of the interesting incentives there. 
being part of industry committees. I have a lot of CISOs that will be the thought leader in insurance or fintech or automotive or weapons, whatever it might be, because they are looking at how to secure their own environments and they're using those best practices to create standards for their industry. So being thought leaders and really enabling that, one of the big incentives or one of the big transitions we see is that the number of CISO or up and coming CISO leaders that have gone out and started their own security product and product security and services companies, many of which you've had on the show. But it's great to see these budding executives and entrepreneurs who just had amazing ideas. They were very sound at their role. They could have continued on their path. But CISOs have a lot of organizational skills. They have a ton of communication superpowers. They make for great CEOs, many of them. So it's there's a lot of directions and incentives that can happen in and out of the CISO role. Humans find vulnerabilities that tools lack. Is this your current penetration testing program? If you feel you're missing the human component to your security program, don't just check the box. Call the NetSpy team of experts to help you not only understand the risk, but get contextual vulnerability management and prioritization. You can't engineer a human out of a pen test. Visit netspy.com forward slash HVM to learn more. That's N-E-T-S-P-I.com forward slash HVM. Thank you, NetSpy, for sponsoring this episode. We talk about the benefits and some of the compensation that goes into being a CISO, but one of the, I think, the most jaw-dropping and awe-inspiring things is the responsibility that a CISO has for an organization. I'm sure that there's a lot of folks that out there that say, you know what, I love cybersecurity. I want to continue to grow and evolve my career. And they think that the only destination is being a CISO. But every time I've had a conversation with someone that is either looking to be a CISO or maybe they're looking for a mentor and being a CISO, the first question they're often asked is, are you sure you want to be a CISO? And that comes <laughs> with a lot of baggage. Could you illuminate for everyone exactly some of the responsibilities that might not be at the forefront of people's minds? Just to cover that piece, I mean, it's kind of a gripping time, right? For those who are old like me, remember the uh, NBC motto, must see TV. That's kind of where we are right now with CISOs. <laughs> so there's really two sides of the story. There's this unprecedented expansion of scope in a relatively short period of time with a new executive leadership role that happens to come from a technical background. New superpowers are being created before our eyes, new scope, very rapid scope being added. And at the same time, you have this kind of unprecedented lack of awareness and a great need for further education around what CISOs do and what a proper security program actually looks like. And this leads to rampant miscalibration, which leads to short tenures and high turnover, which leads to stress. And unfortunately, there's a significant increase in both burnout and some mental health challenges that we see. It's really hard to see every day. And so you have this sort of two-sided monster, to your point, as to where the CISO is. What people aren't seeing is, I would say the biggest thing is the level of communication. The CISO has to be an executive horse whisperer in a way, right? They have to know the balance of what language to use, when to use it, how to present it, what not to say, <laughs> what to say. But there is a, a wave of education around this that I think most people are starting to recognize. And actually the pandemic, the mid-pandemic, really exposed this. You know, the CISO became the chief crisis officer in many cases. It was driven by remote workforce using remote software development in many companies for the first time. 
They are protecting, they're looking around the corner. What next? You start adding things like the war in Ukraine. It really woke up many boards and executives to how to secure critical infrastructure and OT, a massive increase there. And then, of course, the attack surface just continues to explode with the increase of cloud-native and cloud-first environments. So all these things tie to all the hidden scope and hidden items that CISOs have to be aware of. But I always point it back to this communication excellence. It's the thing I work on with CISOs all the time, working on your communication, both internally with your company, externally, and making sure you're considered a thought leader. People want to know what you want to talk about. You start a conversation, make sure you're writing a piece on that. Get your branding out there because CISOs do have this kind of library of knowledge that they just have to figure out how to communicate it to both their internal constituents and external community. One of the other aspects is like what you mentioned, a lot of the CISOs that are working at big organizations or organizations that are disrupting industries, they've almost become influencers. People seek their wisdom. They seek the posts and the insights that they share on social media, podcasts, videos, conferences. And I think that's always like really great to see, you know, someone being able to take such a job that requires so much responsibility and make the best of it. But I got to ask you, what have you found after speaking to 500 plus CISOs just this last year on your report? And even going back further, what have you found to be the most productive or successful types of backgrounds that CISOs have? Just because we are so niche and what we do and that we work primarily with technology and software driven companies, the ones that are successful with our searches, that's where I'll come. So this is not an answer to why are all CISOs successful or not successful, but it's just more about our searches that make sense. They have a great balance of the four components we talked about. They may be an absolute dynamo and in superpower category for, let's say, AppSec, advanced AppSec in a cloud environment. And they may be so good at that, that they've kind of graduated to being able to have others handle a lot of the scope there. And they're working on things like communication with the board or the executive team, how to distill business risk in a (laughs) non-technical or threatening manner. And so there's that balance there. There's the understanding or at least passion around the nuance of compliance, big, huge scope item. A lot of people think that CISO should be split into two areas, you know, compliance and technical. I'm not a big fan of that. I actually think that CISOs are bright and expansive enough to include both. There just has to be investment in this area. And so I think what we'll see is we'll see a lot of CISOs that can actually, they're extremely excellent in the technical end, but they can balance the governance piece. They may not run everything on their own. They may have a lieutenant helping them, but they are very passionate about the space. And then the final area is just, which is the place that they're probably not shining from day one, if they're kind of up and coming, is this concept that you were talking about earlier about sales enablement and customer enablement and partner enablement, being able to speak to others about the product or about what we're doing internally in our own best practices, how to be that sort of outwardly facing evangelist in many ways. Also being able to run the operation. So at the end of the day, having a superpower and being able to run a very strong operation, protecting the data, first and foremost, everything else is kind of learned. Those candidates that can balance all of that usually come through in interviewing situations that might be holes, but they can certainly close those gaps pretty quickly. 
So I got to ask, I mean, in all the work that you do, you're obviously very, very busy looking for homes for CISOs. You're speaking to CISOs. You're surveying CISOs, trying to get as much data as you can. And I'm sure that that really gives you an opportunity to really see what's going out in the space of cybersecurity. Is there a, a story that really comes to mind? Because I, I'm sure that there are times where you're like, wow, this is so much work. This is so hard for us to do. But you continue to do it anyways. I'm sure that there are stories that keep you going. Is there a story that comes to mind as, you know, this is why we do what we do in getting CISOs to the home they need to be in? Yeah, first of all, I'm not that busy. I just go fishing all day long. <laughs> I'm sure you wish. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know it sounds weird and people think we're masochists. We absolutely love this community. This is a community that actually gives back to us as much as we give to them, which is pretty special. And there's a trust level there. That's why we started the CISO matching program. We see vCISOs and fractional CISOs as just as much of the community as a full-time CISO. That problem is no one's advocating for them. And they get these really unqualified situations they have to walk into. It's highly frustrating. It's time consuming. These are usually single proprietor entities. Sometimes they're firms with a bunch of CISOs. But either way, it's, it's very inefficient. So we're like, okay, well, what can we do to give back to the community that's been so good to us? We're really only good at one thing, and that is matchmaking, right? So we're using that power that we have of matchmaking and full-time CISOs and just carrying it over to the virtual side. It's been a fun program to start off. But I think the community is really the thing that keeps us going. Clients, it's always a Rubik's Cube, every client we have. It's just like, how fast can we do it? How much is it going to take us? I was horrible at Rubik's Cubes, I should mention. I think I could get like one side, maybe. <laughs> when you hear in the voice of someone that, hey, I've been here for two or three years, and it is just the best career move. I'm getting sponsored the way I thought. I'm getting the education I thought I would get. They could be a 25-year-old or a 50-year-old. They could be in their third CISO role or their first one. There's just nothing like that feeling to us that just lightens up our day. And the same thing with a client. The client's like, you know, you brought in this amazing she or he executive, and they really changed the way we thought about this, and we're just a much better company than we were. That's sort of what keeps us going. I would love to speak to that 25-year-old person. <laughs> the, the range, right? There's got to be someone out there that's 25 years old, maybe a little older, a little younger, and they have a few years of cybersecurity experience, and they saw that they could be a CISO one day. They heard the numbers. They heard the responsibilities. They were so happy about it, but they don't know where to start. What mm -hmm. would be your recommendation with all of the wisdom and experience that you've gained for directing that person to take that first step after knowing that they want to be a CISO? Yeah, go find a 50-year-old CISO. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, or they could talk to me who's approaching 50, unfortunately. <laughs> but it is a journey. I think most people understand that. Most people realize this is not going to be a leapfrog event. There certainly are battlefield promotions that happen every day. And actually, this is an economic environment where we're seeing it much more, which is awesome. We love it. Like We just had a situation, two situations, where client has hired us and we said, you know, the person that you have in the role is actually probably your candidate, even though we're going to go run an exhaustive and comprehensive search for you. <laughs> but we may be back into the same place, but you'll be better educated on what the model will be and we'll make sure we flush everything out. And it turns out that in one case particularly, like that's exactly where we ended up. And it's a great result. There was no disruptive change in direction. It was continuing on, but they realized that the gaps, what they had in their up and coming CISO was just as easily fixed uh, or easily, easily plugged by just getting the right sponsorship. But for the 25-year-old, I mean, I think finding a passion, whether that's one of those four areas or something else, 
I'm a big believer, you've probably heard me say this before, that you just have to know where your superpower is or what your superpower wants to be. In other words, that thing that's passionate to you that you probably know better than 99% of the population out there. And really start talking about that and start building a community around that. And what will happen amazingly is that people will grasp onto the fact that you are a thought leader in this one area, which I firmly believe once you're a superpowered evangelist or thought leader in one area, then the trust will come out in other areas as soon as you start expanding your own knowledge. And so that's how we've seen the younger crowd get further into executive levels for CISO. It doesn't happen overnight, but it is definitely a recipe there that seems to work. Great information for anyone out there looking to be a CISO. And obviously, Michael is a wealth of knowledge in this space, so be sure to reach out to him directly. We're going to drop all of his information down in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this. Definitely check out Hitch Partners with that. Michael, So thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. And with that, we will see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.